I'm so thankful for all of the, the gifted people who um, help lead us before the throne every week in worship. I'm so thankful to Matthew for that. Um, what a good mini-sermon uh, on, on Hebrews. What a good exhortation um, in, our, in our call to repentance, pointing out such key things for us to understand. And then, not only singing how sweet the name of Jesus sounds, but also um, a mighty fortress. I was reminded one of the reasons that we are committed to, in our, in our worship here, one of the reasons that we're committed to using um, old hymns is because of the rich theology found therein. If you notice that when, uh, and I don't mean old 19... I don't even really mean old in the 1900s. I mean old 1800s, 1700s. Because when, when those hymns were written, they were written by people who understood an intimacy with God. And, they, and you can see that coming out in their writing. And, and they're, such useful, they're just such useful teaching tools. Because I can sing How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, or I can sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God multiple times and yet still learn something new and afresh each and every time. And that's, that's, the, uh, that's the touchstone. That tells you that you're, you're singing something good when you come to it and hear almost, I'm not saying they're on par with Scripture, but in the same way often that you come to a familiar Bible passage and that a new truth is unearthed, um, you can tell that the people who wrote those hymns were intimately familiar with the Scriptures, and they took a lot of time thinking about um, how to, how to craft good poetry uh, that, that teaches well. So, so thankful. So many reasons to be thankful for our worship. Uh, John chapter 8 is where we are. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Remember, he, is, uh, he has been here. We are at the, the longest festival of the Jewish year, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, the feast has, has ended, or at least we're on the last day. And Jesus is arguing. Uh, he's arguing with the Pharisees, or at least they're arguing with him. He's teaching, they're arguing. And that is where we find ourselves in uh, chapter 8, verse 12. And so let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury 
as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, because unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. God in heaven, uh, it may be that Jesus' words don't seem very clear to us. Lord, I pray that by the end of this sermon that they would be shockingly and astoundingly clear, both to my own heart and to the hearts uh, in this congregation. Father, in order for that to happen, you must move. You must work. It won't matter how polished or clear a sermon is delivered apart from your work, uh, the work of your Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, come. uh, Enlighten our eyes and help us to See and hear and understand your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a conversation that goes nowhere? And I know you have, um, because I've been in a lot of them, right? Usually these conversations are, uh, are had maybe with a close friend. If you're a teenager, uh, you feel like they're had with your parents, or if you're a parent, as a teenager, you feel like they're having the teenager. If you have young children, I don't know that any of my conversations thought they go anywhere. Uh, maybe with your spouse, right? But what happens is you feel like you're making a good point, you're saying things well, and then the other person opens their mouth and you realize, nope, that's not, that's not where I was going with that at all, right? Um, the other person just doesn't seem to get it. Uh, in those kind of conversations, usually what happens, right, is the uh, the shield of denial comes down. You know what I'm talking about, right? That if, um, give you an example, if someone were to walk into this room and say, hey, that is a nice brown pulpit, I would say to this stranger, yes, yes it is. But if my wife were to come in and say, that is a nice brown pulpit, I might be inclined to say, Actually, honey, it's cherry. You've been there, right? Like somehow the color of the pulpit now becomes a battleground for you know a long, the long war. Um, and so, 
or, or if it was my or if it was my dad, I would do the same thing. Like, Dad, it's not brown. What are you talking about? Right? Um, there's something that happens in these conversations where where this shield of denial drops down, and all of a sudden, not only can you not hear, you can't hear the truth that the other person is saying, and you can't see the good in what they are saying, and instead of being able to hear them, all all that you can do is is think that what com- what is coming out of your mouth is true, right? And so even though in some cases you're using the same words, you're talking right past each other and the conversation. It's this, it's this merry-go-round of frustration. And I say all of that just to illustrate that that in a similar way is what Jesus is dealing with. He has been going round and round with these Pharisees, and he will continue to do so. We're we're continuing to see these back-and-forth conversations where Jesus is, is saying these amazing things, and yet they continue to stubbornly refuse to hear him. And what you'll notice as we keep going through John's gospel is these get more intense, that Jesus gets bolder and bolder and clearer and clearer, and they get even more obstinate. They get even more obstinate in their refusal to hear Jesus. Jesus is speaking truth, but but the unbelief of the Pharisees, their hardened hearts, like what Matthew read from Matthew 3, excuse me, from Hebrews 3, keeps keeps them from hearing. In other words, they're missing the light, and they're continuing to persist in darkness. And if they continue to persist in darkness, they will die. So... The main idea, hopefully what we convey here, is that as God's true Son, Jesus brings light, the light of truth, to those who are darkened by unbelief. As God's true Son, Jesus brings the light of truth to those darkened by unbelief. Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. The background of that, remember, this is, uh, this is the second of seven I am sayings in John's gospel. And every time Jesus says one of these, he's doing two things. One, he is asserting his identity as God, right? Uh, I am was the name of the Lord from the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I am he. I am that God. I am the God that you claim to worship. And then the second thing that he's doing is he is giving us a metaphor to help us understand his salvation. In this case, in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life, just after he had fed a huge crowd of people. And so when he says, I'm the bread of life, what he means is, I am the food you really need to live. And now we come to, I am the light of the world. What does he mean? What is he saying? And the reason he says this is because of the festival that they're currently enjoying. We've already talked about the, uh, the, the festival of tabernacles. There was a water component to it that we saw two weeks ago, but there was also a light component to it. That in the temple, uh, in the court of the women, just outside of the temple proper, they would light these huge torches at night, and they would dance. Rocked the world of my Baptist friends, right? Yep, there was dancing, right? Religious dancing. And so, um, and, and historical records tell us that the lights were so bright 
that you could see them from anywhere in the city, which is understandable in a time before electricity. Whenever there were big lights lit, big fires lit, you could see it. And so what they were doing when they lit those fires was they were remembering what God had done in the Exodus. This whole festival is really about the Exodus, right? That as God carried them through the wilderness, how did he guide them? By a pillar of fire, right? God carried them through the wilderness or led them through the wilderness as this huge pillar of fire. And they remember that in this festival by lighting these big fires in the temple, outside the temple. And so Jesus, with all of that going on around him and with that in the mind of his people, he says, I am the light. I am the one who leads you through the wilderness. Just listen to some of these passages from the Old Testament about God being the light of his people. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 36, 9, with you is the fountain, water, with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Not only that, but then as you got into the prophets and as God's light, as as the people rejected God's light, and so as the light withdrew and the kingdom became dark and eventually was exiled, right? they were not without hope because the prophets talked about a future light, that God was going to bring the light back. Psalm Excuse me, Isaiah 49 talks about the Lord's servant, the Messiah, the Savior to come. And he says that the Lord's servant will be a light not just for Israel, not just for the 12 tribes, but he'll be a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God is going to bring light back, and this time not just for Israel, but for all the nations Isaiah 60, 19 and 20 talks about the promise of the last day. And what he says is there will be no need for the sun or the moon because the Lord will be your everlasting light. And what do you know? In Revelation 21, John's picture of the last day, it says this. Revelation 21, 22. I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its, no, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. So you see that God had always been his people's light He promised to bring light in the future, not just to his Old Testament people, but now to all the nations. And we see that fulfilled in Revelation 20. But what does all that mean? What is Jesus saying when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, for starters, he's saying that the world is in darkness. Um, We read that in our call to worship, that a darkness will fall on the nations. The world is in darkness It's blinded by its rebellion against its creator. Paul would put it this way in Ephesians 4.18. We are darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us due to their hardness of heart. So one of the things that Jesus is saying is the world is in darkness. 
and it is in need of light. It is in need of saving, redeeming light. And then the second thing he's saying is, I am your God. Listen to me. And ultimately, I am your salvation. Just like, just like Israel had that pillar of fire in the desert that kept them by night, that guided them on the way to the promised land, Jesus is saying, I am the true pillar of fire. I'm going to get you, I'm the only one who can get you through the wilderness all the way to the promised land. Come with me. Come with me if you want to live. And then he's also saying this. I am the way, because I am the light, I am the way that you see and understand everything else. So, what that means is that you cannot even understand the Bible in your hands if you do not understand Jesus. And that's really this argument that he's having with the Pharisees. Because they would have known their Bible. They knew their Bible. But they didn't understand it. They didn't have the lights on. They were reading it in the dark. Jesus changes the way that you see. And if you haven't walked with Jesus for your entire life, and I know many of you have not, if you have, praise the Lord. That is the story we want our children to tell. But if you have not walked with Jesus for your entire life, you know exactly what I mean when I say that Jesus changes the way that you see. He changes the way that you see everything. He changes the way that you see yourself and your own motives and your desires. He changes even the way that you see a sunrise and a sunset. Jesus changes the way that you see everything. Because you remember, you remember what it was like to not see. You remember what it was like when your eyes were dim. And you probably remember the moment or the progression of moments in which your eyes were opened. And they were even open to their own blindness. Jesus changes the way that we see. We mentioned John Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus is the light who changes the way we see everything. And so what do we do? What are we called to do? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We'll have life. We follow J.C. Ryle, a, a British pastor from a previous century, says that following, in, following here is simply another word for believing. It's the same attitude of the heart, just looked at from a different perspective. In order for Israel to reach the promised land, she had to trust the pillar of fire. In order for us to reach life, we have to trust the light. If you're lost in a dark cave... And there's only one person with a light. You better trust that they know the way out of the cave, that they know where they're going. We have to follow the light. And, I, and notice this too, that Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't saying, he, he's not pointing to his teaching per se. He's not saying, hey, I've got this groovy philosophy 
an outlook on life that if you just adhere to it, you'll be all right. If you, if you just follow these ten easy steps, your life will be much better. You will be enlightened. If you achieve this, this mark of knowledge, this mark of higher learning, you will be truly enlightened. You will have light. No, Jesus is pointing to himself. He's saying, I am the light. Follow me. The other alternative is simply just going to Barnes and Noble and perusing the religion or the do-it-yourself sections, the, uh, the self-help sections. If you want that, if you just want five easy steps or a philosophy of life that's going to set you on a good trajectory, then you go do that. But Jesus, no, he points to himself. He says, I am the light. Follow me. Jesus is the life-giving light for all the nations. He reveals the truth about our darkness, and he reveals the truth about our knowledge-giving, life-saving God, which is why the Pharisees object to him, because those are some bold claims that he is making. He's not saying, hey, I've got a better way forward. He's saying, I've got the only way forward. And if you're not going to follow me, you're going to stay in darkness. And as he warns them later on, you're going to die. You're going to die in your sin. If you remain in darkness, you're going to die in the sin of unbelief. Because there's going to come a point at which you're going to try to find me. Right? I, very soon I'm going away. And you can't go. And then you're going to try to find me and it's going to be too late. You'll have missed me by that point, and you will die in your sins. Jesus makes bold claims, and so the Pharisees object. And this is where we see that, uh, that Jesus' words are true because he is one with the Father. What's really happening here in this whole dialogue, pretty much from verse 13 to verse 30 and really beyond, is the Pharisees are challenging Jesus' authority. They hear him say, I am the light, and they say, you have no right to make that claim. That's what they're challenging. They're challenging Jesus' authority to claim what he's claiming. And what Jesus does is he basically, that what they want to do is discredit him. What Jesus does in answering their objections is discredit them. So let's see, we'll kind of look through and see some of the ways this works. The Pharisees want to discredit Jesus' authority first by saying, hey, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. And they're referencing something Jesus said in John 5 where he was pointing to the fact that he had other witnesses to corroborate his testimony. They didn't really hear that part. They're just interested in discrediting Jesus. And so they say, you're not, you, you don't have any other witnesses. You're just bearing witness about yourself. And he says... Even if I am, my testimony is still true. Right? So one way to think about this is light is self-revealing. Right? If we were to walk into this room and it was dark, it was at night, because it's not like it's any a whole lot brighter now with the lights on, but um, don't worry, we're getting new lights in the new sanctuary. Um, if I were to cut the switch on, and you were to say, Man, where is that light coming from? 
you know, point to the light. And if you said to me, mm, I'm going to need other proof. You're crazy, right? Light is self-authenticating. It is self-revealing. That's the beauty of the sun. It doesn't matter what kind of day it is. It doesn't matter how dark the clouds or how ferocious the storm. You still know that the sun is up. There is still light because light is self-revealing. And so when Jesus says, even if I don't have another witness, my testimony is still true. And then he points to his origin. He says, and my testimony is true because I know where I came from. I come from God, the Father, the one who sent me. And that's where I'm going back. But you, on the other hand, have no clue. You don't know who I am. You think I came from Nazareth. You think I came from Galilee. You've completely missed the point. And so Jesus, when he defends himself, he discredits them. He points to his origin. He says, you judge according to the flesh. Your judgment is skewed by your but, well, by the fact that you're in darkness. Your judgment is skewed by the fact that you don't even turn the lights on. You judge according to only what your eyes can see. You judge by your appearances. And because you see a man who you think came from Galilee, you won't listen to me. But I'm telling you the truth. You must listen. I judge no one. Jesus doesn't mean he will never judge anyone. He will never issue judgment. His point is, I don't judge. At least one possible meaning of his point is that I don't judge the way that you judge. And he even goes on to say, right, if I do judge, my judgment is true, not because it's from me, but because it's from the one who sent me. I don't even judge based on my own authority. You want two witnesses? I've got to, myself and the Father. And, they, and, of course, then they say, oh, he's got a witness. Where's your father? Bring him out. Let's see him. And he says, you don't know my father because you don't know me. Now, uh, and, and he says, if you knew the father, you would know me. So basically what he's saying is, if you had, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking all these questions. You would be believing me. Now, the question that maybe you want to ask, especially if you're particularly prone to logic and all of those things, is, is Jesus guilty of circular reasoning? Right? Circular reasoning, let me see if I can explain it well, because I also am not logically inclined. Circular reasoning is where uh, you use what you're trying to prove to prove your point. So, um, a very, very simple way to say it would be to say, well, I'm right about that because I'm always right. Right? That would be circular reasoning. I'm ending, uh, I'm beginning where I want to end. And so is Jesus guilty of what's called the, the, the logical fallacy of circular reasoning? And in one sense, the answer is yes. Because here's the thing about circular reasoning. And here's the thing about logic. It all has to stop somewhere. Even the rules of logic, which poo-poo the notion of circular reasoning, even the laws of logic are defined by someone. And so what Jesus is saying is, gentlemen, 
you don't you can't get much deeper. You've hit the bedrock. You've hit the the foundation that underlies everything else. So you're not going to get any further down than me. And that's where all logic and reasoning eventually has to stop. C.S. Lewis says it this way, you can't go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To see through all things is the same as not to see. Jesus is the bedrock. He is the foundation, and he is the self-authenticating point of authority. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that testimony is true, and there's no way to dig up underneath it because he is the Son. In other words, Jesus is the light that reveals God and everything else. And so here's what you have to do with that. And this is what the Pharisees will not do. And maybe it's what you won't do. You have to do, right, what these, what these men are guilty of doing is not, is not flipping the switch. They don't want the lights on. They want to study truth in the dark. And as long as they remain in the dark, they will not see. And so here's, here's two things to take away from this whole dialogue. One, you must acknowledge what Jesus is claiming and that there is no way around him. Jesus is not offering uh, just a simple life philosophy. He's not offering one option among many. He is claiming to be the only light that will take you home. He is claiming to be the Son of God, the one sent from the Father. You have to acknowledge that, and you have to decide what you're going to do with it. What are you going to do with Jesus? Will you believe what he says? Will you believe that he is the true representation of the Father? Everything else hinges on this question. right? Life, life and death are at stake here. Because Jesus says, I am going away and you will seek me. You'll keep looking for the Messiah and you will die in your sin. But it's even more poignant than that. Because he said that he would be revealed. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, I want you to notice the he is added in the English. And there's a sense in which that would be grammatically correct. But on the bare face of it, what Jesus says is, For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And then he says it later. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority. You have to believe. This is the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. You have to believe that Jesus is I am. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And if you will not, and if you do not, 
then you will not see life. You are living in the dark and refusing to cut the lights on. Jesus says, he finishes at least this section, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, lifted up, how will they lift him up? It's interesting that they say, so is Jesus going to kill himself when he says he's leaving, when he's going somewhere that we can't go? Does he mean he's going to kill himself? You know, there's some interesting truth. Jesus is certainly going to die. And he will lay his own life down. He says, I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. But they are the ones who will do the killing. And what's astonishing about God's goodness is that in killing Jesus, they will exalt I am. They will lift up the Son of Man. First on the cross and then up into heaven. And he says, at that point, when you, have, when you have lifted up I am, it will be too late. Then you will know that I am, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority. All these things that I've been speaking to you, at that moment, then you'll know that they were true. But at that moment, it will be too late. Will you believe in Jesus, will you come out of the darkness and into his marvelous light? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that even though we are trapped in darkness, yet you have provided light. That you have not left us in darkness, but that you have provided one who leads us out of darkness into light and that when we follow him, we will live in darkness no longer. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus, hear Jesus for who he really is. The Son of God come to die for the sins of the world and to ransom a people for his own possession, for your own possession. Oh, Lord, help us to turn on the lights. Help us to see your light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.